This episode of Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories is brought to you by Away Travel. Are you finally ready to leave your house after a year of being cooped up? Well, you're going to need some quality luggage, and Away has got you exactly what you need. They started with the perfect suitcase and then built from there, creating a range of travel standards developed from the travel stories of the people they met along the way, their friends and their seatmates. And the pieces aren't just smart, they're thoughtful with features that solve real travel problems. And they took the direct-to-consumer approach to lower prices and make sure that that quality is guaranteed. So, you can get in a way suitcase and know it's going to be with you for life. Find out for yourself. All you have to do is go to podgo.co slash away, P-O-D-G-O dot C-O slash away, and get started on that first step to make your journey seamless. Hey, you awake? Yeah. I just want you to know I hate you. So does my dad. Please go away. Let me sleep for the love of God. Why don't you tell me a story? How do you sleep at night? I don't want to hang out with a bunch of wannabe corporate sellouts. Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories exist to lay waste to the rumor and innuendo that uh, afflicts a lot of your favorite bands and your favorite songs. We love rock and roll and we love talking about it. My name is Brian. And hey, I'm Murdoch. And welcome, everybody. Got a great story for you today. Let's do it. I'm pumped. All right. I don't know if this is going to blow your doors off, but I'm going to go ahead and say this should be entertaining. Uh, nonetheless. Listen, I mean, let's just talk about this show serves several purposes. And yes, one of them is to set straight um, misconceptions, but it's really to have fun. You and I have fun. We hope everybody else has fun. And if if you're having fun or if you're not having fun, feel free to email us. We are the story guys at gmail.com. And you can check us out on our website. We are the story guys.com. There's other shows up there that we do and are a part of. And uh, now let's do this one. Let's go. Come on, hit me. So we have actually covered a very similar story like this before. Okay. Uh, And it was in episode two of Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories Uh. where an artist had possibly ripped off someone else's song. That was the first time we talked about such a thing. That's a very popular popular episode of the show, by the way, episode two, if you want to go back and find it. That, That involved Prince and Stevie Nicks. Yes. And this involves one of those artists Yet again. Ooh. But the story here revolves around one of the most successful artists of all time. And by me saying that, when we start to talk about this person, a lot of people will be like, nah, but seven number one hits. Okay. 100 million records sold. Okay. Yeah. So what I want you to do, we're going to listen, we're going to listen to both songs. We don't have to listen to them very much. We listen to the intro and then we're going to listen to them together. So now we're going to listen to Prince Rogers Nelson. This is the seven inch single edit of the title cut from his record in 1999. noticed this before well here i'm about here's where i think the blow your doors thing is about to happen so now what i've now what i want you to play is this is a mashup with the two this mashup i think is better than the stevie nicks one 
right, so that's the two songs put together. I mean, that's pretty remarkable. But why, why yes. is this not a thing we talk about? Like, I've never heard anyone bring this up before. Well, so here's here's the here's straight from uh, somebody who worked with Phil, so we can talk about it. There is a, a side guy who actually did write some songs with with Phil. His name's Daryl Stumer. Uh, I believe it's S T U E R M E R. Uh, and he was he worked on No Jacket Required. He played on multiple songs and, and co-wrote three of them. And he says that many people thought that it was mimicking 1999 and that Phil didn't run away. This is his quote. Quote, Phil never ran away from that idea. He said he was definitely influenced by the song and he was a huge fan of Prince. So he says, quote, I remember when I had the first demo of Susudio, there wasn't a bass part on it at all. The bass line in the song changed how it first sounded, so it actually ended up sounding less like 1999 after the bass line was, lit, was laid down. It was a synthesizer bass line, and there were great horn parts on the record, too. The horn part was arranged by a guy named Thomas Washington, who was in Earth, Wind, and Fire. Oh, hell yeah. So the thing that you want to know, like, so did he rip off this song? So what's the hook to 1999 other than the lyrics? The the hook to 1999 is... It's four notes. Right. And Susudio, that lick at the very beginning of the song, like the drum, the drum machine kicks in, it's the same four notes. So when you play that mashup, which I sent you, which we'll share to everybody, um, it's mixed by DJ TBT. Um, we'll share that in the, the show notes so everybody can hear that. The reason that they sound just almost identical is that it's the same four notes that are pretty much laid on top of each other. So I do think that people really hate Phil Collins or... I love listening to people defend Phil Collins about being a great writer and a great, a great songwriter. And he's written an enormous amount of songs. Like if you go and look at his songwriting credits, there's a reason why he's, he's sold a hundred million records more than once because he's a good songwriter and say what you want to say about, um, you know, what he's, kind of out there and he still can he can't really play or sing very well um but i i'd like to say since i brought this up i'd like to say he's, he ripped off the song completely and i that's my story so so that i'm sticking to has prince ever <clears throat> responded to this has there ever been legal action or anything no, no. And and uh, our executive producer, Sonia, one of the very first things she was looking for, she was looking to see, like, if he got sued. I, I was like, here, we're going to talk about this tonight. And she went directly to litigation. Like, such a smart kid. Yeah, so <laughs> that totally didn't that totally didn't happen. So there was never any uh, thing about that. I mean, Prince called, for a lot of people that don't know this, Prince called... Neil Sean, I think's his name. He called him, Prince called him and said, Hey, I wrote the song, but I think I ripped off faithfully. 
And the song that Prince wrote that he thought ripped off faithfully was called Purple Rain. So he played that over the phone for the guitar player for Journey, who was like, yeah, man, you, you can have it. No, you're good. You're good. We can both yeah. have a hit. Do you want to just know how much I love Susu Studio? Let me just say, <laughs> let me just say that I love this song. Yeah. It's surprisingly fresh now. So, man, I programmed a radio station that played a lot of hits from the 80s, uh, like 20 years ago. And this was not officially on the playlist, but you better believe that Brian played it an inordinate amount. To the point that, like, you know how it was in corporate radio at the time. You were not supposed to go off the list. Brian, no, what was... Brian, you, re- you remember the term for when you played something that wasn't on the playlist? You remember what that term is? Uh, no. It, it's, like, just... it's like a volleyball term. The, the, uh, the term no, kids is, is spike. You would spike a song. And let me just tell you, I oh. spiked this song and then way too much. Um. So what was the most played Phil Collins song where you worked at? Uh, because we were pretty cheeseball, we played Can't Hurry Love a lot. Oh, like that was regularly in the rotation. And then In the Air Tonight, of course, was in the rotation. But I would play, I would spike all the catalog stuff all the time. We also played so much Genesis that you couldn't play yeah. as much Phil Collins as you might want because there right. was so much regularly scheduled Genesis. We're, we're getting in the weeds on like how radio yeah. playlists work, but yeah. Yeah. And let's let's get out of there. And, and one thing that we, we can talk about here that's different between you and I is I'm a Gen Xer. Right. So my first experience, and we won't have to listen to this or anything, but my first experience with Genesis was from MTV, and it was post-Peter Gabriel, mm-hmm. and it was the self-titled Genesis record that had Mama on it with the really creepy video, oh, and yeah. that, that's all that Amanda Shires is actually covering now, Jason Isabel's wife. But uh... so, but after that, there, as a Gen Xer, as a person that grew up and as in my teens, in the 80s, and, and coming of age in the early 90s, there was no escape from Phil Collins. And for some people that are younger, um, they probably would have no idea that this actually is like, you know, this very kind of dumpy, bald English guy was all across the radio doing everything. Yeah, I mean, we we touched on this a little bit in the Phil Collins versus the Drowning Man episode, but there was a period in the 80s where every single member of Genesis, was it every single member of Genesis or all but one of them, had like a hit at the same time that Genesis had a hit. Try to imagine a band. Try to imagine that happening. Even imagine like, let's just take a band. Like it couldn't happen now. Yeah, there's there's not a solo artist and artist within a band happening now. That that doesn't really mm-hmm. occur. Nope. People love Phil Collins or they really hate Phil Collins. Yeah. And it's a really difficult thing. Um so anyway, so he was born in 51 and his dad was an insurance agent and his mom was a theatrical agent and he got a drum kit when he was five and not only were the beatles like a big influence um in 64 so put that he's 13 he was in a hard day's night he's in the movie really Wait, yeah like, he's an uncredited, he's an uncredited okay, okay, okay. fan yeah yeah he's he's in that um and there's crazy interesting things about Phil Collins. Oh, yeah. And 
in the, uh, you know, as a person that grew up watching him on MTV and seeing all those videos, you know, I just got inundated like I was listening to the Eagles all the time. It just was just over and over. But right. really amazing, interesting things about Phil Collins. So he's a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Some of people course. may not know yeah. that. Uh-huh. That's through through Genesis. He was originally just Genesis' drummer. For some people who don't know, Peter Gabriel was the singer of that band. They were definitely a, a definitely not a center, left or right, kind of a little avant-garde, different band yeah. before uh, yeah. Peter Gabriel left. And 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 Phil Collins' influence really, you know, led him down being a very pop mainstream. Right. Act. Well, and he, however, he didn't want to be the singer, which is an amazing part of this story. There's the, they right. basically he, were like, maybe we should break up. Maybe we should bring somebody in. And then somebody's like, maybe Phil should sing. And Phil was like, yeah, I don't think so. And I should specify yeah. my, my comment earlier about all of the members of the band having a hit. It was inaccurate. What I meant was Peter Gabriel, Phil Collins, and Michael Rutherford all had hits at the same time. Peter Gabriel oh. wasn't technically in Genesis, but they all had a hit on the, at the same time as Genesis had a, had a hit. And because we've been talking about radio programming, what a nightmare as a radio programmer trying to program all of those artists next to each other. <laughs> yeah, or, or having to play In the Living Years uh, on the radio, which is so depressing. <laughs> you know, I like, I like both of those Mike and the Mechanics songs. It's, uh, it's they also so have depressing. a giant, because we're just in the radio hole, they have giant ramps for you to talk up. So you can oh, hit, like if you're going to hit the post on both of those songs, they're so long. That's right. It's almost summertime, and that you know what that means. It's time to get laser hair removal. Hi, I'm Mark Murdoch, and you might know me from Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories. Coming up, I'm going to tell you how to be skin hair-free for this summer. It's Mike and the Mechanics. Every generation. So, so in Genesis hit Pay Dirt with Abacab, with, with that, that single, and then with the, the self-titled record. Um, but he had already done a solo record before then. He did Face Value in 81, yeah. and that was In the Air at Night and um, You Can't Hurry Love, and then Hello, I Must Be Going in 82. No Jacket Required is where we're going to get to with Studio in 1985, and that was an enormous record, which now he can kind of look back and say, I did put my face on the cover of that record. That might have been weird. Um, and then 1989's But Seriously at the time was the fastest selling British album of all time. Think about that for a minute. It's Phil Collins. Think, think who else was British. Yeah. If, if people don't remember, Hook with Robin Williams. Oh, yeah. Uh, he was in Hook. He, he played was? Inspector, he was? He played Inspector Good. Well, the lab boys can analyze this a lot. So, Mr. and Mrs. Banning, we've uh, wired the phones and two of my lads will be outside at all times. Of course, you know, it is entirely possible that this whole thing is some kind of ridiculous prank. My children are missing. Yes, but the literary history of the family and everything suggests that, well, let's hope so. Shall I've forgotten we? how to fly. Inspe yeah. Inspector Good? That does not seem... Yeah. Inspector Good. That does not yeah. seem child-appropriate. Hey, just a quick intermission between sets on Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories here to remind you that the show is brought to you today by Away Travel. You are looking to get out of your house, finally, 
and you're going to need a suitcase for it. And they have got exactly what you need. The perfect suitcase. They took the direct-to-consumer approach. They're keeping their prices low and their quality high. And you can feel confident that when you get an away suitcase, it's going to be with you for life. Don't just listen to me, though. Find out for yourself. Go over to uh, podgo.co slash away. P-O-D-G-O dot C-O slash away to get started and let away travel make your journey seamless. Now, back to the show. How much do you know about Live Aid and Phil Collins' participation okay, in Live Aid? Okay, I was going to ask you about this. I was like, I didn't think this is where we were headed, but I was like, isn't there a whole Phil Collins Live Aid story where he has to like use a plane to go to both? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. So, so I was 11. I'm going to date me, so now you can know. And, and, and I also was on a, a trip in a car with my family coming and going from either Panama City Beach or Daytona Beach, and I listened to the FM simulcast of Live Aid on the radio wherever I could get it, just turning in the dial in the backseat of the car, because it was on every radio station. That's awesome. Um, And I do remember hearing him playing In the Air at Night at one of those, at at, at either London or Philadelphia. he is the only person that played both of them, right? That's right. Okay. So he he played solo... Um, with a piano in in London, and he played. So I mean, imagine he was he played with a piano and did in the air at night with a piano. And at one of those gigs, he forgot the words to in the air at night. That's true because I remember listening to it. Um, he sang with staying on every breath you take. Um, and then he took a helicopter to Heathrow, and then flew to Philly, and then took a helicopter to the stadium in Philadelphia. I mean, and it, 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 it's the only reason to do something like that, to be the guy that did it. Like there's no other, I mean, it's not that important that Phil Collins do both of those events, right? Nobody else in the world did both of those events. Paul McCartney didn't do both of those events. Right. Right. And, and as we'll kind of, we'll, we'll kind of talk about sort of the, I don't know, like this didn't work out well for him eventually. Right. Like, At a certain point, he, his reputation goes really off the rails. Yeah, yeah, and and it's not like any of this was on his fault, but he is a prickly guy. Yeah, um, and and like uh, some other musicians, I can't think of one off the top of my head other than Ryan Adams canceled. Um, Phil Collins has, has been the type of guy historically who will play a sold out gig for fifteen thousand people, and he'll read the paper the next day how the critic will just take him down in the paper, and then he calls the critic. And his whole point was, I, I got to go and, you know, I'm playing in front of all these people and they love me, but there's this one guy yeah. who thinks that I'm terrible. Well, like, I mean, are a little there... advice if you're an aspiring musician or, or concert performer, that's not a good look. Like, I know it's tempting, right. especially even on Twitter, not a good look. Just, you no, know, back away. Right, right. So, but he, he got stuck there. So, but yeah, so his, so when he came back to Philadelphia, he played a solo set in Philly, and then he played drums on with Eric Clapton for his three-song set. And then, infamously, this band called Led Zeppelin went on later in the day after a band called Queen yep. that put them at a very large disadvantage. Yep. Couple reasons. Uh, they didn't rehearse. Yep. They had... Roughly two drummers, if you just count Phil Collins and Tony Thompson. Uh, 
Robert Plant could not sing the songs very well. Yeah. And and uh, Phil Collins was the person who was quoted that said that Jimmy Page was dribbling on himself. Ooh. So, and you can just kind of see, it's like the early 80s before Jimmy Page really got sober yeah. and he, he looks awful. So... Um, the way that Phil Collins rehearsed to play with Led Zeppelin <laughs> is on the airplane over from London, he listened to Stairway to Heaven. Um, that, that's what he did. And then he, he got there finally and he, he, he ran into Page and, and Plant and John Paul Jones got there an hour before they were supposed to play. Zero rehearsal. Uh, and they had bad monitors. Like everything about that performance like it's not worth watching um but he he went to he ran into robert plant and robert plant said jimmy page is belligerent and that's all he said to to phil collins and then phil collins what they were trying to rehearse a little bit and phil collins uh started getting quizzed by jimmy page on how to play stairway and he was kind of miming the part to stairway and page was like, no, it doesn't go like that at all. Uh, so Phil Collins, this is his words. He had a word with Tony Thompson, the other drummer, because quote, I've played as two drummers a lot and it can be a train wreck. So let's stay out of each other's way and play simple. Um, and you know, it, it, it didn't go very well. Um, <laughs> And so enough, was, was Phil Collins trying to make Live Aid about him? Like, this is a whole lot of involvement when, when you have yeah. every artist in the world practically participating to just be on the stage as much as he was on the stage. Well, if you think about, if you think about the record that he had out and the records he had out, he was arguably the biggest solo artist in the world other than, right. like, right. Michael Jackson, yeah. right? So he he just had radio hits, and so it it kind of was a weird thing. That Led Zeppelin performance, by the way, was so terrible that they had to redeem themselves by playing at Atlantic Records' 40th anniversary birthday party party in '88. They like wow. they went and did they like got Jason Bonham and they did the thing and played Cashmere and something else, or whatever. And was, we promise. That we promise. We are. We don't suck. It was bad as yeah. we did. <laughs> Right. Um, so he's one of only three recording artists other than McCartney and Jackson who've sold over 100 million al albums as a band and as a solo artist. Think about it. Remember in 80, it, he was in a movie called Buster. Remember that? Oh, yeah. He start, He was a great train robber, Buster Edwards. <laughs> Hello, I'm Buster Edwards. Dennis Aguirre paid a taxi. You probably never heard of me, but back in 1963, I became one of the most popular personalities of my time. Right. I want those hooligans nailed to the floor. I gotta say, uh, this movie doesn't look terrible. <laughs> I'm, I'm a little intrigued. Did you ever see it? Um, yeah, but I don't remember. It was completely forgettable for me. Um, I read a great quote that said, you know, as the 80s kind of started to fall over, you know, eventually what happened with him, you know, he became like this ugly sign of the 80s, like kind of the the kind of pudgy white guy with a Hawaiian shirt singing music. 
I, I saw a great quote where someone referred to Phil Collins' solo music as BMW music, and and that's that's pretty fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when Brett Easton Ellis created Wall Street sociopath Patrick Bateman in the movie American Psycho, oh, yeah. he listened to Phil Collins. Oh and, yeah. Did they change it in the movie to Huey Lewis, or did they do? It, no. Did he do both? They, he was a Phil Collins fan, but the scene that you're thinking about is the Huey Lewis uh, yeah, the scene that's more famous. Yeah, yeah and, and the reason uh, Ellis put it in there is that he heard a lot of kind of dark stuff in, in Phil's lyrics. Well, yeah, we already, we've talked about that, the, the, we, the Drowning Man we, episode. Incredibly difficult personal issues with multiple divorces, um, and we'll, I'll mention that uh, a little, little bit. Um, because I can't get away from this, it is so amazing. He's fascinated with the Battle of the Alamo. Do you know that? No, no it's a fun fact. Yes. So it's deeper than just Phil Collins being an artifact collector of the Alamo. Okay. He saw a psychic once who said that maybe in a previous life he fought at the battle. Oh, nice. That's that would yes. be a real, that'd be a great thing. Like if I was a psychic and I wanted to mess with people, instead of like pretending to talk to their loved ones, which could have really bad repercussions, just saying that they were at weird historical events would be amazing. Like if I, like if you came to me and I was like, Murdoch, I think you were at the Battle of Gettysburg. Wish like, I was on. You know, yeah. <laughs> it, would, it would haunt you forever. Every time yeah. that movie was on or that documentary was on, you, you'd like look for yourself. It'd be great. So he, this, is, this is a direct quote from him. So he explained that he had found, quote, glowing orbs and photographs when he takes pictures at, at the Alamo. Quote, it's paranormal energy. I don't want to sound like a weirdo. I'm not Shirley MacLaine, but I'm prepared to believe it's possible that I was there in another life. The Buster Two <laughs> Battle of the Alamo. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he, he had a spinal injury. Yeah. And it really messed him up like it made it difficult to where he couldn't play. This is why he's not he's not standing up on tour now, right? Yeah, I mean, that was the spinal injury was a decade ago. And he had he had the spinal injury and he had some type of ear problem and had kind of felt like it was a relief that he could kind of get away from it, but he also got really depressed and contemplated suicide. He still has a career going. And he gets an Oscar nomination and wins for best original song. But it's the people that he beats that get very cantankerous and angry about it. That's not a word. Oh, Here, we can put the real antidote in these drinks and hand them out to the children. The chef is giving the antidote so everyone will stop liking Phil Collins. (laughs) I miss Isaac Hayes. But the South Park guys lost at the the Oscars. Uh, By the way, they were dosed on the Lysergic at the Oscars, which was crazy. Um, And they decided to make to pick a bone with Phil Collins. And that really hurt his feelings, too. That was a really like personal affront to an entire generation of people who just thought he was this kind of terrible 
guy. This was a great excuse to talk again about Phil Collins because very interesting dude <laughs> and a lot of implications to and a lot of like large scale big ideas about fame and fame turning on you and not being good at being famous, which I would say is yeah. is definitely one of his problems. It, and yeah, and he he what is really great that you brought that up, Brian, is that he he's very open about that. Um he's he was not fame was not something that he was he was good at and um we've we've not talked about that a lot on the show but that is a real thing and i know like a lot of times it becomes a punchline where guys like me and you are like oh poor babies they have all this money and all this popularity and they can do whatever they want but but like there are definitely some weird downsides to the fame and if you are not and i definitely think mental health wise i think now we talk more about mental health and I think we all have seen mental health things play out and it's, you know, yeah. with everyone from Justin Bieber to Kim Kardashian and Kanye West or whoever else. And, and so now it's a little more understandable and we all like are a little more respectful about it. But I remember, you know, I mean, I, I like to bring everything back to the Counting Crows. My <laughs> favorite band, the Counting Crows. The second record is uh, is my one, my favorite record of all time, hands down, Recovering the Satellites by the Counting Crows. And a lot of it is Adam Duritz really reckoning with how fast that band became famous. And I remember, you know, even 20 years ago, it was like a little bit after that album came out, people were like, man, what a whiny baby. And, you know, of course, the singing style probably helps with that yeah, perception. But, you know, just you're singing about all these songs, but have you lost your identity? I think now, though, we zoom back out and we're like, I don't know maybe there is something to this, right? Like maybe we do need to be a little more thoughtful and, and examine those feelings when we put people, especially at a young age up on a pedestal very quickly and then expect them to behave. I mean, that yeah. actually is, doesn't really make sense. And so to see somebody like Phil Collins implode a little, I mean, as we've already pointed out, he was one of the biggest stars in the world for a long period of time, put out a massive body of work, um, and you know, we spent all this time, Mark, and we never got to this song, which I feel like we need to play. That's the theme to Tarzan. You'll be in my heart. Oh, yeah, that's, that's that song. This, this is what the South Park guys hate him for. Terrible. So You're that's that's that won an Oscar. That's the song that won <laughs> oh, the Oscar. I know. For. I know. I know that you left it out when you did, when you were talking about that part. That's why I put it in. Yeah, because I'm like, oh, jeez. Uh, I mean, like, really? Hey, hey, on his song, take me, take me home. Is that about a person in a mental institution, or is that really about a guy in a Hawaiian shirt that's all around the world in that music video? Oh, right. Man. There's there's darker themes that go on with Phil Collins that I'm sure everyone's gonna be really excited to get out their their cassette copy of No Jacket Required to listen to right now. I'm just saying, it is pretty amazing that he ripped off that entire song by yeah. using four notes. That's all it takes. Yeah. Four notes, baby. I felt like for a minute we were heading into that Vanilla Ice territory where it was like, no, 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 my song goes do 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 do. I thought that's where <laughs> we were headed. But I think you've yeah. got a pretty compelling case. All right. I, I, I am not judge or jury, but I'll say I don't know how I've never noticed this before. I've been thinking about it ever since you explained it. And I, the only excuse I have for not noticing it is I think you you kind of alluded to this. What you remember about those songs are different. 
So with Sudi, I mean, Sudio, I mean, it's just, it's about saying this weird nonsense word and the yeah, swagger we, we of that. That's about. But 1999 is more, it's larger than life, right? It's much bigger than that song, especially if you were, you know, of a certain age when 1999 actually happened and that song was everywhere, right? So yeah, good, good point. Uh, wow. If you've got comments, thoughts, things you want to say, get involved uh, at the on the email. It's wearethestoryguys at gmail.com. We appreciate all of the notes you've been sending us. We are do- we've been doing our homework. I promise we've got uh, more listener mail to get to in upcoming episodes. We appreciate that. And you can check out everything we're doing at wearethestoryguys.com. Other shows um, and other things that we are working on, we want you to be a part of all of it. Um, special thanks to our line producer today, uh, Sonia. Thank you so much for your research. I'm going to send you some emails on homework I need you to do work on for next week. Yeah. And Sonia, what should everybody do uh, before they hear us next time? Make sure to keep telling stories. Oh, she's better at that than you, man. That was, that was <laughs> great. You, you permanently are going to have that job, Sonia, every time you're around. Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories is a Story Guys production. The show is produced and edited by Brian Eichenberger. Get more stories, hear more podcasts, and book the guys for your conference or house party at wearethestoryguys.com. All rights reserved.